Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives for and ever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please now join me in prayer. Well, Father, we are grateful to be able to gather this morning as your covenant people, your church. And Lord, we thank you so much that you, Lord, not only offer us the the privilege and the opportunity to come and hear your word, but you, you tell us, come. Come and hear my word that your people might be built up in their faith. And Lord, that's what we pray this morning, that you would indeed feed your people with the bread of life, that you would feed your people, and that by the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you would allow your people to be strengthened in their faith, and that they would come to rest more and more upon Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Orientation Day is very important for some people whether it be orientation day for a new job that's been started or freshman orientation if someone is beginning uh, their time in college. And it's typically during orientation day where someone will be instructed in all the basics of their new station in life. For their job, they'll likely be told, here's where you're going to clock in. This is when you take your lunch break. These are the, the supervisors to which you're going to report uh, for a student, if you're beginning freshman orientation at college, they'll tell you here's, uh, here's where your dorm room's going to be, here's where, uh, here's where your various classes will be, here's where the library is, where you're going to need to study. Maybe you'll be able to meet a few uh, professors. 
And uh, perhaps most of all, they'll tell you where the cafeteria is. Orientation day is very important, and it gets you ready to start a new station in life and tells you everything that you need to know. And if we study the fourth chapter of the book in Revelation, we see that John is receiving orientation from the risen Christ. Not orientation for his freshman year of college, not orientation for a new job, but it's going to be an orientation that gets him ready to receive the rest of the visions in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is full of God pouring out judgment upon sinners. And the early church in the first century was going to go through a great deal of trial and a great deal of persecution. And in the midst of all these trials, in the midst of the persecution, John is given a vision of the throne of God. And his attention is fixed upon God who reigns upon that throne, and it puts everything in perspective. And so the passage can be divided into two major sections. First, we're going to look at the throne in verses 1 through 6. And then secondly, the praise of God in the second half of verse 6 through the end of the chapter. So we'll begin first with the, the throne of God in verses uh, 1 through the first half of verse 6. It begins with, After this I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven. And uh, Joel Beakey has a, has a commentary on the book of Revelation, and as I read through it this past week, I was both uh, helped but also a little bit discouraged when he said that Revelation chapter 4 is the point of no return when it comes to the book of Revelation. And what he meant by that is, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation are uh, largely and, and mostly easy to interpret because the text tells you what various uh, symbolisms mean. And yet when we get to chapter 4 and beyond, it's a little bit more difficult. It takes a little bit more effort on the part of the reader to, to understand what's going on. But if we are thoroughly seeped in the Old Testament, if we're uh, those who have studied the text of the Old Testament well, uh, the book of Revelation becomes much more easy to grasp. John is taken away from these seven churches and he is told to come up into the heavenly realm. John is told that he is going to uh, come through, come up, and he is going to see what must take place after this, what is part of the plan and decree of God. And there is a few times in Scripture where people are allowed to peek into the unseen realm, where they're allowed to see into the heavenly realm that for the most part is away from our gaze. We're not able to penetrate it with our eyes. Uh, for example, uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about how he was uh, taken up into the third heaven, that he heard things that were too, too wonderful, too marvelous to be told. And yet he specifically says, I don't know if I was in the body or if I was out of the body. It seems that something similar is happening here, happening here with John. In the Old Testament, although he wasn't taken up into the heavenly realm, uh, Elisha and his servant were, were granted the opportunity to see uh, what was unseen with the chariots of fire when Elisha prayed that his servant might see that there were more with them than were with the enemy. 
And so John is going to be given a great privilege. And just like prophets of old, when they were shown something from the Lord God Almighty, they would then relate it to the people of God. Likewise, that's what John is going to do. He's going to receive what the Lord is showing him, and he's going to give it to the church. He's going to have this book written. And as soon as he ascends in this vision up into heaven, something catches his eye immediately. You know, sometimes you may have a conversation with someone and things drift towards spiritual things and somehow you begin to talk about heaven. And it's amazing when you talk with people about heaven, uh, what they first think of, what they're looking forward to uh, when they finally arrive in heaven. Maybe they'll say, I really want to see this particular loved one. I want to, to see the, the streets of gold, whatever it might be. But what John sees first, as soon as he is caught up into the heavenly realm, he sees the throne of God. He sees the throne of God, and it it arrests his attention. It catches his attention, and he cannot look away. And as you read the passage, this is just an astounding picture of the throne of God. There are various different types of Jewels, various different types of stones that would have just sparkled absolutely beautifully. A rainbow that goes around the throne. And of course, when John is describing uh, the one who sits upon the throne, he doesn't describe uh, what God looks like. Why does he do that? Well, in in John's gospel, he tells us uh, no one has ever seen God. God God does not have a body, he is a spirit. But John is describing God upon the throne with this highly symbolic imagery that points to the the beauty, the splendor, the magnificence, the awe-inspiring nature of the throne of God. He sees the one who sits upon the throne, the one who has decreed all things, the one who is uh, sovereign. And as soon as his eyes are taken off that, then he is able to see that there are 24 elders around the throne. And while this has been interpreted various different ways, it seems best to understand it as uh, the totality of the church. That these 24 elders are, are representative of the church. In the Old Testament, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. And in the New Testament, you have the 12 apostles. And I think that fits very nicely because if you examine these twelve or these twenty-four elders, what, what do they possess? What does John see that they have? You can see it in verse four. These twenty-four elders sitting on twelve thrones are clothed in white garments. They have golden crowns on their heads. They're sitting on thrones. And as we study the seven churches, the the seven letters to the churches, over and over again, the risen Christ held out a promise, a reward to each of these uh, churches. He would say something like, to the one who conquers, you will receive white garments. To the one who conquers, you will sit on a throne. To the one who conquers, you will receive the crown of life. So these 24 Elders are representative of the church. They are those who have crossed the finish line, those who have inherited the promises of God. And it's just an astounding picture 
these, this bright shining throne with the glory and holiness of God, these peals of thunder that are just rattling off and probably shaking the very foundations. It would have been such an astounding picture for the Apostle John. If you've ever been in a, in a very severe thunderstorm, you know how, how small it can make you feel. It, it reminds you of just the, the power of God because that's, that's merely the creation of God uh, shaking the very ground on which you stand. I remember when I lived in uh, northern Illinois, we had, uh, our home was in a subdivision that backed up to uh, just an open field. And any time that a, uh, a storm blew in from the west, you could see it coming for miles. And I remember standing out in the backyard one afternoon and the, the storm was, was blowing in and you could just see a, a wall of, of gray rain that was coming in and about to overtake the home. And without any warning, there was perhaps the loudest crack of thunder that I've ever heard in my life. It shook my very bones and it just made me realize how small I was, how powerful God's creation is. John would have been overwhelmed by this picture of the throne. In the midst of this are also the seven spirits of God, and in the letters we saw that is the the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God. And if you look at verse 6, you see that there is a a sea of glass. And if you can just imagine a, a sea of glass around the throne with these sparkling gems and stones, with the, with the light of the lightning lighting up the entire throne room of heaven, it would have been amazing indeed. Now, in the original context, this would have been a great encouragement for the readers of Revelation. It would have been a great encouragement for the early church as they are facing persecution, as they are despised by the world, they would have been able to read this and see that God has a plan. That in verse 1, he says, come up here, I will show you what must take place after this. There's no, no doubt. God has decreed a plan for his people and it must be carried out. It must be executed. And a great encouragement it would have been indeed. And it can also be a great encouragement for us because very often we are able to become distracted where we fix our eyes upon our present circumstances and we lose sight of the fact that God has very great and precious promises that He has given to us in His Word. That every promise that we have in Scripture is yes and amen in Christ. And if we belong to Him, we may lay claim to them. We can become so distracted. If you recall in the book of Genesis with Abraham, Abraham is speaking with God and he's quite concerned that he doesn't have an error. He says that rather than his own son, someone who's his own offspring, inheriting all of his wealth, it's going to be Eliezer of Damascus who's going to be the one who inherits What does the Lord do with Abraham when Abraham is getting so fixed upon the present circumstances? Well, he calls him out under the night sky. And he says, Abraham, look up. Look up. Look up at the stars. Count them if you can. That's what your offspring is going to be. More numerous 
than the sand of the sea, more numerous than the stars of heaven. It is something that God has promised and it will be accomplished. And likewise, it is a guarantee that God will accomplish his promises to deliver us not only from sin and death, but deliver us into his heavenly kingdom and receive the crown of life. Secondly, let's look at the praise of God in verse 6b, the second half of verse 6 through 11. His description of the throne room continues, and he uh, takes his eyes off of, off of God and the throne, off of these 24 elders, and he turns his eyes to these living creatures that uh, if we're readers who are not very well versed with the Bible, these seem very odd. Speaks of creatures that are like a lion, like an ox, like a, uh, like a face of a man and like an eagle. And while these may appear to us to be very uh, grotesque uh, creatures that are around the throne of God, uh, we must remember that Revelation is using very symbolic imagery. And these would appear to be uh, not grotesque animals around the throne of God, but a representation of God's created order in all of its fullness. A lion being the, the, the strongest, the, the king of the jungle, if you will. An eagle being a very strong, or an ox being a very strong creature that can uh, pull a plow and that can do agricultural work. The face of a man being the, the pinnacle of God's creation on day six in Genesis chapter two. And then finally, the eagle that is going to uh, rule the skies. And so these four creatures would be a representation of, of God's created order in all of its fullness. They're, they're full of eyes, meaning full of, of knowledge. You can think about various proverbs that speak about the, the eyes of the Lord going throughout all of the earth. And these creatures are in the presence of God, praising Him. Shouting out the same words which the prophet Isaiah heard when he saw the vision of the Lord high and lifted up, holy, 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 the one who was and is and is to come, the one who is almighty. If the, if the holy one, the eternal one, the almighty one is for you, what, what can be against you? As we, as we just sang before we began the preaching of the word, we sang the words, Now since our God is for us, what have we then to fear? I remember when I was in my undergraduate studies, uh, sitting around in the common area of my dorm room one evening, and I was reading through the book of Jeremiah. And I believe it was one of the portions in Jeremiah where it's the, the oracles against the nations. I remember vividly reading words in the book of Jeremiah where the Lord addressed a specific people and he said, I am against you. And it, it struck me because I thought, what, what a terrifying position to be in. Whether it be unfaithful Israel or whether it be an oracle against the nations, for God to be against you, what a terrifying position to be in. And yet for us today and the saints in the first century, this Holy One, this Eternal One, the One who has created all things, He is for us in Christ. 
for us in Christ. These creatures continue to sing out before the Lord. And it says in verse 9 that whenever these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. And they cast their crowns. Why is it that these elders cast their crowns before the Lord? These crowns that they've, they've worked so hard to, to uh, receive, they've worked so hard persevering through a great deal of, of trial. Well, they, they cast their crowns because they're acknowledging their dependence upon the one who has granted the very crown. They acknowledge that whatever, uh, whatever authority that they have been given to sit upon their thrones, it is only a derivative authority, and they are happy, they are joyful, they are overjoyed to render back to the Lord anything that has been given to them. All the things that they've experienced, they come from the Lord. And if you look in verse 11... They confess, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. By your will they existed and were created. So whereas the various creatures are praising God for his eternity, the fact that he's almighty, the fact that he's sovereign, the Elders are are praising God because He is the Creator. He is the Creator who has brought about all things. And so God oriented His people in the first century to remind them that He is the one who is sitting upon the throne. He He is the one who is in charge of all things that are playing out. That ultimately it is the throne of God that is determining everything that is happening in the seen realm. And they needed to be conscious of the fact that everything was going according to the plan of God. The day is coming where the people of God, too, will enter into the presence of God. They will praise Him unceasingly. And they will praise Him without sin. If you're a Christian here this morning, then you you know what it's like to have the desire to be able to praise God unceasingly without sin. Perhaps you you know what it's like to uh, have the opportunity to use the gifts that God has entrusted to you and you know that you're doing your Master's will. You know that you're doing what's pleasing to Him and you just wish that you could do so better. You wish that you could do so unhindered by sin. The day is coming when that will happen. For now, we will continue to serve the Lord imperfectly, but still repenting and looking to Christ to forgive us. But the day is coming when we are joined the ranks of those who praise God and recognize the one who is upon the throne. When we'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. May we use this fourth chapter of Revelation to reorient us to the throne of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you that you have good plans for us. Oh, Lord, that you have said that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, and that every promise that you have is a yes and amen in him. I pray that you would fix our eyes upon the promises that you have given us, 
And Lord, that you would fix our eyes upon you, who reign sovereignly over all of your creation. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.